They cause more problems than they solve. Please help reinforce and strengthen the framework of international law. Enforce the United Nations. Reinforce the International Court of Justice. This unilateralism just makes us look very stupid, and them relatively smaller. That's Ekbal Ahmed, and this is Alternative Radio. I'm David Barsamyan. This edition of AR features Ekbal Ahmed on terrorism, theirs and ours. Terrorism is the scourge of the era. It is a fearsome symbol, conjuring up images of ferocious-looking bearded men brandishing AK-47s. The media focus on the terrorism of official enemies like Saddam Hussein, bin Laden, and Zarqawi. After they were done away with, new demons appear to justify war and bloat the Pentagon budget. Be afraid of ISIS and Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula. Be afraid of Yemen and Somalia, Pakistan and Afghanistan, Iraq and Syria. Be afraid of all the jihadi groups that have mushroomed all over the Middle East. The notion that the United States and its allies engage in terrorism is simply not a topic for discussion. To scrutinize U.S. policy is verboten. The war on terror is now the longest war in U.S. history. There is no end in sight, and that suits Washington just fine. Our guest today is Ekbal Ahmed of Pakistan. He was one of the third world's most astute and innovative thinkers. He led an extraordinary life of engaged activism across continents. He taught at Hampshire College in Amherst. His articles and essays appeared in major international journals and magazines. He wrote a weekly column for Dawn, Pakistan's oldest English-language newspaper. He died in Islamabad in 1999. I was fortunate enough to know him, and we did a book together, Confronting Empire. This classic program from the AR Archives was recorded in October 1998 at the University of Colorado at Boulder. The events described are barely known, but are still relevant today. And now, Akbal Ahmed. In the 1930s and 1940s, the Jewish underground in Palestine was described as, quote, unquote, terrorist. Then new things happened. By 1942, Holocaust was occurring and a certain liberal sympathy with the Jewish people had built up in the Western world. At that point, the terrorists of Palestine, who were Zionists, the terrorists of Palestine suddenly started to be described by 1944-45 as freedom fighters. At least two Israeli prime ministers, including Menachem Begin, had actually, you can find in the books, posters with their pictures saying, terrorist and prize this much. The highest prize I have noted so far 
was 100,000 British pounds on the head of Menahem Begum, the terrorist. Then, from 1969 to 1990, the PLO, the Palestine Liberation Organization, occupied the center stage as the terrorist organization. Yasser Arafat has been described repeatedly by the great sage of American journalism, I'm referring to William Sapphire of the New York Times, as the chief of terrorism. That's Yasser Arafat. Now, on September 29, 1998, I was rather amused to notice a picture of Yasser Arafat to the right of President Bill Clinton, and to his left is the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Clinton is looking towards Arafat, and Arafat is looking literally like a meek mouse. And just a few years earlier, he used to appear with this very menacing look around him with a gun appearing menacing from his belt. You remember those pictures, and you remember the next one. I should go on. In 1985, President Ronald Reagan received a group of bearded men. These bearded men I was writing about in those days, in the New Yorker. They were very ferocious-looking bearded men with turbans, and looking like they came from another century. And President Reagan received them in the White House. After receiving them, he spoke to the press. And he pointed towards them, I'm sure some of you will recall that moment, and said, these are the moral equivalent of America's founding fathers. These were the Afghan Mujahideen. They were at that time, guns in hand, battling the evil empire. And they were the moral equivalent of our founding fathers. In 1998, September, another American president ordered missile strikes from the American Navy based in the Indian Ocean, ordered missile strikes to kill Osama bin Laden and his men in the camps in Afghanistan. I do not wish to embarrass you with a reminder that Mr. Bin Laden, whom the American, 15 American missiles were fired to hit in Afghanistan, was only a few years ago the moral equivalent of George Washington and Thomas Jefferson. He got angry over the fact that he has been demoted from moral equivalent of your founding fathers. So he is taking out his anger in different ways. I'll come back to that subject more seriously in a minute. 
You see, why I have recalled all this story is to merely point out to you that the matter of terrorism is rather complicated and terrorists change. So the terrorists of yesterday is the hero of today and the hero of yesterday becomes the terrorist of today. This is a serious matter of constantly changing world of images in which we have to keep our heads straight to know what is terrorism and what is not. But more importantly to know what causes it and how to stop it. Next point about our terrorism is that posture of inconsistency necessarily in evades definition. If you are not going to be consistent, you're not going to define. I have examined at least 20 official documents on terrorism. Not one defines the word. Not one defines the word. All of them explain it, express it emotively, polemically, to arouse our emotions rather than exercise our intelligence. I'll give you only one example which is representative. October 25th, 1984, George Schultz, then Secretary of State of the United States of America, speaking at the New York Park Avenue Synagogue, a long speech on terrorism. In the State Department bulletin, seven single-space pages, not a single definition of terrorism. What we get is the following. Quotations. Terrorism is a modern barbarism that we call terrorism. Definition number one. Definition number two is even more brilliant. <laughs> terrorism is a form of political violence. Aren't you surprised? It is a form of political violence, says George Schultz, Secretary of State of the United States of America. Number three, terrorism is a threat to Western civilization. Number four, terrorism is a menace to Western moral values. Did you notice? Does it tell you anything other than arouse your emotion? If this is typical, they don't define terrorism because definitions involve a commitment to analysis comprehension and adherence to some norms
of consistency. That's the second characteristic of the official literature on terrorism. The third characteristic is that the absence of definition does not prevent officials to be globalistic. We may not define terrorism, but it is a menace to the moral values of Western civilization. It is a menace also to mankind. It's a menace to good order. Therefore, we must stamp it out worldwide. Our reach has to be global. You need a global reach to kill it. Anti-terrorist policies, therefore, have to be global. There is no question, quotations, same speech of George Schultz. There is no question about our ability to use force where and when it is needed to counter terrorism. There is no geographical limit. On a single day, the missiles hit Afghanistan and Sudan. Those two countries are 2,300 miles apart. And they were hit by navies belonging to a country roughly 8,000 miles away. The reach is global. A fourth characteristic. Claims of power are not only globalist, they are also omniscient. We know where they are, therefore we know where to hit. We have the means to know, we have the instruments of knowledge, we are omniscient. Quotation, Mr. George Schultz again and then compare it with today's behavior. We know the difference between terrorists and freedom fighters, says Mr. George Schultz. We know the difference between terrorists and freedom fighters, and as we look around, we have no trouble telling one from the other. Courts closed. So you see, only Osama bin Laden doesn't know that he, he is an ally one day, an enemy another. And that's very confusing for Osama bin Laden. I'll come back to his story towards the end, because it's a real story. Five, the official approach eschews causation. You don't look at causes of anybody becoming terrorist. Cause? What cause? They ask us to be looking, to be sympathetic to these people. Another example. The New York Times, December 18, 1985, reported that the Foreign Minister of Yugoslavia you remember the days when there was a Yugoslavia? 
foreign minister of Yugoslavia requested the Secretary of State of the United States to consider the causes of Palestinian terrorism. The Secretary of State, George Shultz, I'm quoting from the New York Times, went a bit red in the face. He pounded the table and told the visiting foreign minister, there is no connection with any cause. Period. Quotes closed. Why look for causes? Number six, the moral revulsion that we must feel from against terrorism is selective. We are to feel the terror of those groups which are officially disapproved. We are to applaud the terror of those groups of whom officials do approve. Hence, President Reagan again. I am a contra. He actually said that. I am a contra. You know, the contras of Nicaragua were anything by any definition but terrorists. The media, to move away from the officials, aids the dominant view of terrorism. The dominant approach also excludes from consideration, more importantly to me, the terror of friendly governments. To that question I will return because it excused, among others, the terrors of Pinochet, who killed one of my closest friends, Orlando Lotelier. And it excused the terror of Ziaulak, who killed many of my friends in Pakistan. All I wanted to tell you is that according to my ignorant or vague calculations, the ratio of people killed by a state terror of Ziaulak, Pinochet, Argentinian, Brazilian, Indonesian type versus the killing of the PLO and other terrorist type is literally, conservatively, one to 100,000. That's the ratio. History, unfortunately, recognizes and accords visibility to power and not to weakness. Therefore, visibility has been accorded historically to dominant groups. In our time, by our time I mean the time which began with this day, Columbus Day. The time that begins with Columbus Day is a time of extraordinary, unrecorded holocausts. 
great civilizations have been wiped out. The Mayas, the Incas, the Aztecs, the American Indians, the Canadian Indians were all wiped out. And their voices have not been heard even to this day fully. Now they are beginning to be heard, but not fully. They are heard, yes, but only when the dominant power suffers. Only when resistance has a semblance of costing, of exacting a price, when a custer is killed, or when a Gordon is besieged. That's when you know that there were Indians fighting, Arabs fighting and dying. My last point of this section. U.S. policy in the Cold War period has sponsored terrorist regimes one after another. Samosas, Batistas, all kinds of tyrants have been America's friends, and you know that. Nicaragua, Contra, Afghanistan, Mujahideen, El Salvador, etc., etc. Now, the second size. You have suffered enough, so suffer more. Ain't much good on the other side either. You shouldn't imagine that I have come to praise the other side. But keep the balance in mind. Keep the imbalance in mind and first ask ourselves, what is terrorism? Our first job should be to define the damn thing, name it, give it a description, some kind, other than moral equivalent of founding fathers or a moral outrage to Western civilization. I will stay with you with Webster's Collegiate Dictionary. Terror, says Webster's Collegiate Dictionary. You can all check back to it. Terror is an intense overpowering fear. That's terror. And he uses terrorizing, terrorism, quote, the use of terrorizing methods, hear me closely, the use of terrorizing methods of governing or Resisting a government. Quotes closed. This simple definition has one great virtue. And the virtue of fairness. It's fair. It focuses on the use of coercive violence. 
violence that is used illegally, extra-constitutionally to coerce. And this definition is correct because it treats terror for what it is. Terror, whether government commits it or private people commit it. You see, notice something, motivation is kept out of it. We're not talking about whether the cause is just or unjust. We're talking about consensus, consent, absence of consent, legality, absence of legality, constitutionality, absence of constitutionality. Those are the issues. Why do we keep motive out? Because motives, motives differ. Motives differ and make no difference. There are, I have identified in my work, five types of terrorism. First, state terrorism. Second, religious terrorism. Terrorism inspired by religion. Catholics killing Protestants, Sunnis killing Shias, Shias killing Sunnis. God, religion, sacred terror, you can call it if you wish. So there is a state, there is church, there is crime, mafia, all kinds of crime commits terror. There is pathology. You're sick. You want attention of the whole world. You got to kill a president. You kill. You terrorize. You got to hold a bus. You do it. And so there is pathology. And fifth, there is political terror of the private group. Be the Indian, the Vietnamese, the Algerian, the Palestinian, the Badr Meinhof, the Red Brigade, whichever that is. Political terror of the private group. The oppositional terror, I call it. Keep these in five in mind. And begin to move on. Keep in mind one more thing. Sometimes these five, any two or any three, can converge on each other. You start with protest terror. You go crazy, you become pathological, you continue. They converge. State terror can take the form of private terror. For example, you're all familiar with it. The death squad in Latin America. Or the death squad in Pakistan. And the government has employed private people to kill its opponents. So it's not quite official, it's privatized. You see what I'm saying? Convergence. Or the political terrorist who goes crazy and becomes pathological. Or the criminal who joins politics. All through the, in Afghanistan, in Central America, the CIA employed in its covert operations drug pushers. Drugs and guns often go together. Smuggling of all things go together. You would notice that of the five types of terror, focus is on only one. The least important. 
the least important in terms of cost to human lives and human property. The highest cost, state terror. Second high cost, religious terror. Although in the 20th century, religious terror has relatively speaking declined. But if you are looking historically, massive costs. Next high cost, uh, crime. Next high, pathology. A Rand Corporation study, a man called Brian Jenkins, uh, for 10 year period up to 1988, showed 50% of terror was committed without any political cause at all. No politics. Simply crime and pathology. So move on to examine then the focus on only one, the political terrorists, the PLO, the Ben Laden, whoever you want to take, any number. Why do they do it? What makes the terrorist tick? You're listening to Akbal Ahmed in a classic from the AR archives, Terrorism, Theirs and Ours. This is Independent Alternative Radio. You can order copies of this program and the Akbal Ahmed book, Confronting Empire, by calling 1-800-444-1977. We're offering MP3s, PDFs, and printed transcripts of this program free of charge. That's 1-800-444-1977. Or you can order online on our website, alternativeradio.org. That's alternativeradio.org. What makes the terrorist tick? Those, I would like to knock them out quickly to you. First, the need to be heard. Now, imagine we are dealing with the minority group, the political private terrorist. First, the need to be heard. Normally, and there are exceptions, there is an effort to be heard, to get your grievances heard by people. They are not hearing it then a minority acts and the majority applauds. The Palestinians, for example, the, this, the super-terrorists of our time, were dispossessed in 1948. From 1948 to 1968, they went to every court in the world. They knocked at every door in the world. And they were told that they became dispossessed because some radio told them to go away. An Arab radio, which was a lie. Nobody was listening to the truth. Finally, they invented a new form of terror. Literally, their invention. The airplane hijacking. And between 1968 and 1975, they pulled the world from its ears. 
they dragged us out. Said, listen, listen. Well, we listen. We still haven't done them justice. But at least we all know and acknowledge. Even the Israelis acknowledge. Remember Golda Meir in 1970, Prime Minister of Israel, saying there are no Palestinians. They do not exist. Well, damn well they exist now. You are cheating them at Oxlo. At least you are there. Some people to cheat now. You can't just push them out. So you see, the need to be heard is essential. One motivation there. Second, mix of anger and helplessness produces an urge to strike out. You are angry, you are feeling helpless, you want retributive. You want to reap retributive justice. Three, experience of violence by a stronger party has historically turned victims into terrorists. Battered children are known to become abusive parents and violent adults. You know that. That's what happens to peoples and nations. When they are battered, they get bad. State terror very often breeds collective terror. Do you recall the fact that the Jews were never terrorists? By and large, Jews were not known to commit terror, except during and after the Holocaust. Most studies show that majority of members of the worst terrorist groups in Israel or in Palestine, the Stern and the Irgun gangs, were people who were immigrants from the most anti-Semitic countries of Eastern Europe and Germany. Similarly, the young Shiites of Lebanon or the Palestinians from the refugee camps, these are battered people. They become very violent. The ghettos are violent internally. They become violent externally when there is a clear, identifiable external target, an enemy they can say, yes, this one did it to me. Then they can strike back. Five, example is a bad thing because example spreads. There was a highly publicized Beirut hijacking of the TWA plane. After that hijacking, nearly there was hijacking attempts at nine different American airports. American airports. Pathological groups or individuals modeling on the others. Even more serious are examples set by governments. 
when governments engage in terror, they set very large examples. And when they engage in supporting terror, they engage in other sets of examples. Six, lack absence of revolutionary ideology is central to victim terrorism. Revolutionaries do not commit unthinking terror. Those of you who are familiar with revolutionary theory know the debates, the disputes, the quarrels, the fights within revolutionary groups of Europe. The fight between anarchists and Marxists, for example. But the Marxists have always argued that revolutionary terror, if ever engaged in, must be sociologically and psychologically selective. Don't hijack a plane. Don't hold hostages. Don't kill children, for God's sake. Have you recalled also that the great revolutions, the Chinese, the Vietnamese, the Algerian, the Cuban, never engaged in hijacking type of terrorism. They did engage in terrorism, but it was highly selective, it was highly sociological, it was still deplorable, but there was an organized, highly limited, selective character to it. So absence of revolutionary ideology that begins more or less all of the post-World War II period has been central to this phenomenon. My final question with you is, but these conditions have existed for a long time, for a very, very long time. But why then this flurry of private political terrorism? Why now so much of it and so visible? And the answer is modern technology. You have a cause. You can communicate it through radio and television. They will all come swarming if you have taken an aircraft and you are holding 150 Americans hostages and they will all hear your cause. You have a modern weapon through which you can shoot a mile away, they can't reach you. And you have the modern means of communicating when they put together the cause, the instrument of coercion, and the instrument of communication, politics is made. A new kind of politics becomes possible. To this challenge, rulers from one country after another have been responding with traditional methods. The traditional method of shooting it out. Whether it's missiles or some other means, shooting it out. And the Israelis are very proud of it. The Americans are very proud of it. The French became very proud of it. Now the Pakistanis are proud of it. The Pakistanis say our commandos are the best. 
frankly, it won't work. The point proves a central problem of our time. Political minds rooted in the past and modern times producing new realities. Therefore, in conclusion, what is my recommendation to America? Quickly, without explaining them, you would know what I mean, what to do. First, avoid extremes of double standards. If you are going to practice double standards, you will be paid with double standards. Don't use it. Don't condone Israeli terror, Pakistani terror, Nicaraguan terror, El Salvador terror on the one hand, and then complain about Afghan terror or Palestinian terror. Doesn't work. Try to be even-handed. A superpower cannot promote terror in one place and reasonably expect to discourage terrorism in another place. Won't work in this shrunken world. Second, do not condone the terror of your allies. Condemn them. Fight them. Punish them. Evenly. Third, please eschew, avoid covert operations and low-intensity warfare. Covert operations and low-intensity warfare are breeding ground of terror and drugs. Violence and drugs are bred there. The structure of covert operation, and I made a film about it, which has been very popular in Europe, called Dealing with the Demon. What I have shown is, wherever covert operation has been, there has been the central drug problem. That has been also the center of drug trade, because the structure of covert operation, Afghanistan, Vietnam, Nicaragua, Central Asia, Central America, the structure of drug operation, a covert operation, is very hospitable to drug trade. Avoid it. Give it up. Doesn't help. Fourthly, please focus on causes and help ameliorate causes. Try to look at causes and solve problems. Five, do not concentrate on military solutions. Do not seek military solution. Terrorism is a political problem. Seek political solutions. Diplomacy works. Military doesn't work. Take the example of the last attack on bin Laden. Number one, you don't know what you're attacking. They say they know, they don't know. They attacked, they were trying to kill uh, Qaddafi, right? They killed his four-year-old daughter. That poor baby hadn't done anything. Qaddafi is still alive, mashallah. They tried to kill Saddam Hussein. 
They killed Laila bin Attar, an innocent woman. They tried to kill Ben Laden and his men. Not one died, 25 other people died. They tried to destroy a chemical factory in Sudan. Now they are admitting they destroyed a medicine factory. One half of the production of medicine in Sudan has been des destroyed, not a chemical factory. You don't know. You think you know. You're going to hit the wrong thing all the time. Two of your missiles, four fell in Pakistan. One was slightly damaged, two were totally damaged, one was slightly damaged, and was, was totally intact. For 10 years, the Pakistan, American government has kept an embargo on Pakistan, because Pakistan is trying stupidly to build nuclear weapons and missiles. So we have a technology embargo on my country. One of the missiles was intact. And what do you think? The Pakistani official told the Washington Post, he said, it is the gift from Allah. <laughs> they won't give us technology, and now we have got the technology, and our scientists are examining this missile very carefully. <laughs> you see? Fell into the wrong hands by American policy. So don't do that. Look for political solutions, do not look for military solutions. They cause more problems than they solve. And six, please help reinforce, strengthen the framework of international law. There was a criminal court in Rome. Why didn't they go to it first, get a warrant against Bin Laden, if they have some evidence, get a warrant, then go after him internationally. Enforce the United Nations, reinforce the International Court of Justice. This unilateralism just makes you look very, makes us look very stupid, and them relatively smaller. As, as, as the, um, the meeting clears a little bit, the question here is that I mentioned that I will go somewhat into uh, the story of Ben Laden in Af the Saudi in Afghanistan and didn't quite do so could I go into some details. Uh, the point about Ben Laden uh, would be roughly the same as the point between Sheikh Abdul Rahman, uh, who was accused and convicted of encouraging the blowing up of the International Trade Center in New York City. The New Yorker had a long story on him, and it's the same as that of Amal Kansi, the Pakistani Baluch, who was also convicted of murder of three CIA agents. Uh, let me see if I can be short on this, very short. A jihad, jihad, which has been translated to you a thousand times as holy war, 
is not quite just that. Uh, jihad is a word that means to struggle. And it could be a struggle by violence or a struggle by non-violent means. There are two forms, jihad al-saghir, the small jihad and the big jihad. The small jihad involves violence, the big jihad involves struggles with self. Those are the concepts of jihad. The reason I'm mentioning this is that in Islamic history, jihad as an international violent phenomenon had disappeared in the last 400 years for all practical purposes. It was revived suddenly with American help in the 1980s. When the Soviet Union intervened in Afghanistan and the military dictator of Pakistan on bordering, which borders on Afghanistan, saw an opportunity in it and launched a jihad there against godless communism, the United States saw a gold-sent opportunity to mobilize one billion Muslims against what Reagan called the evil empire. And money started pouring in. CIA agents started going all over the Muslim world, recruiting people to fight in the Great Jihad. Bin Laden was one of the early prize recruits because he was not only an Arab, he was also a Saudi. He was not only a Saudi, he was also a multimillionaire willing to put his own money into the matter. And Bin Laden went around recruiting people for the jihad against communism. I first met him in 1986, and he was recommended to me by an American official whom I do not know whether he was an agent or not an agent. I have no idea of that. I wouldn't accuse this a poor American as a CIA agent. I was talking to him and I said, who are the Arabs here who will be interesting? By here I meant in Afghanistan, in Pakistan. He said, you must mean Osama. And I went to see Osama, and there was Osama, rich, bringing in recruits from Algeria, from Sudan, from Egypt, just like Sheikh Abdurrahman. Ah, this fellow was doing, was an ally. Then he remained an ally. He turns at a particular moment. In 1990, the United States goes into Saudi Arabia with forces. Saudi Arabia is the holy place of Muslims, Makkah, Medina. There had never been foreign troops there. Now in 1990, during the Gulf War, they went in in the name of helping Saudi to defeat Saddam Hussein. Osama bin Laden remained quiet. Then Saddam was defeated. Saddam is defeated, but American troops stayed on. In the Kaaba, the land of the Kaaba, 
foreign troops. He wrote letters after letters saying, Why are you here? Get out! You came to help, but you have stayed on. And finally, he started his jihad with the other against the other occupiers. His mission is to get American troops out of Saudi Arabia. His earlier mission was to get Russian troops out of Afghanistan. See what I was saying earlier about covert operations. A second point to be made about him. Look, these are tribal people. These are people who are really tribal. Being a millionaire doesn't matter. Their code of ethics is tribal. Tribal code of ethics consists of two words. Loyalty and revenge. You are my friend. You keep your word. I am loyal to you. You break your word. I go on my revenge path. For him, America has broken his word. The loyal friend has betrayed. To the one that you saw blood loyalty has betrayed. They're going to go for you. There are going to be a lot more. There will be a lot more. These are the, these are the chickens of the Afghanistan war coming home to roost. And this is why I said towards the conclusion, covert operations, stop them. There is a price attached to those that the American people cannot calculate. And Kissinger type of people do not know. They don't know. They don't have the history to know. Many thanks for bearing with me. That was Ekbal Ahmed on terrorism, theirs and ours. This classic from the AR archives was recorded in 1998 at the University of Colorado at Boulder. Ekbal Ahmed of Pakistan was an important radical thinker, anti-imperialist, and engaged intellectual. This program is produced by Alternative Radio based in Boulder, Colorado. We are independent and part of the nonprofit media education organization, Rise Up. We are supported solely by individuals just like you. We feature progressive voices rarely heard in the media, such as Tariq Ali, Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz, Angela Davis, Arundhati Roy, Ralph Nader, Noam Chomsky, and Nader Hashmi. We also have a series of Ekbal Ahmed programs. To access our complete audio and book catalog, just go to our website, alternativeradio.org. Again, our website where we are podcasting, alternativeradio.org. To place a credit card order for CDs of this program, Ekbal Ahmed on Terrorism, Theirs and Ours, and for his book, Confronting Empire, just call us at 1-800-444-1977. Again, that number is 1-800-444-1977. Or you can order on our website, alternativeradio.org. We're offering MP3s, PDFs, and printed transcripts of this program free of charge. Joe Ritchie is our general manager and editor. I'm David Barsamian. Thank you for listening. We go out with sitar maestro Debu Chaudhary performing Raga 
Arana. alternativeradio.org alternativeradio.org we too are independent and are supported solely by listeners who make donations, uh, purchase transcripts, mp3s or cds of our programs so we're very much uh, dependent on listeners out there Strawberries or raspberries, one and one half cups diced cantaloupe, one and one half cups diced pineapple, one and one half cups diced honeydew, melon, one cup blueberries, one cup pepped grapes, three quarters CJSW 90.9 FM Radio Magic. Broadcasting fruit salad from Calgary, Alberta on Treaty 7 land. Microwave until your salad starts exploding. Or not. Have a nice day. Lost in the sauce, never lost in the scheme With your face screwed up, think you're not on the team Get your face bruised up, you try boxing with me ah. Coming out the jungle, no, I got it out the muscle Got it out the hustle, you ain't got it out the rubble Problems ain't discussing, cause I got some issues trusting If you wanna get it busted, you gon' have to hit me running While I'm busting back, running like I'm running back I ain't slanging dope, bitch This is facts, this is whack, this is cat. Never be the difference, man. I guess it's all just sentencing. My talking tone is menacing. I do you like Edison? Did Nikolai set the fucking dignified and define greatness? Every line of victory, writing history on these pages. It's a mystery, I'm dangerous while I put you in the stakes. The concubines of my mind while I'm meditating. With your line of staycation for the ones who listen, hating me to dick with all that hatred. Let me live, eat, drink, smoke, 
fucking chill. Let me live. Let me live. Eat, drink, sleep.